Hey, everybody. It's an episode of No Driving Gloves again. Uh, kind of going a little bit old school tonight. I've got Will as a co-host. Derek should be jumping in a little bit, finishing up meeting. And um, I asked this guy back as far as probably episode 10 or 12 if he would want a guest on uh, No Driving Gloves. And he gave me some critique and feedback. And I'll be honest, I didn't listen. And I should take down that episode that he told me to at that point. I think it's like episode eight, the TNA episode, because the audio quality is horrible. Don't go back and listen to it. But uh, <laughs> we've got uh, uh, Brian Fuller from uh, Fuller Moto, Fuller Hot Rods, Full Bore Welding and Full Bore Sheet Metal books, everything through fullermoto.com. I think you can pick up all of that stuff there and kind of waiting for you to get a couple of new shirts because this uh, COVID belly's out made me outgrow the last one I got from you. So <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing tonight? Uh, oh man, it's a beautiful day down in Tampa, Florida. We uh, just started kind of back into car fix it's on motor trend we're filming this week so yeah it's been a good week you know and tv production everything trying to get the world back to a some sort of normalcy i guess is how everybody wants to say it i even had like a morticia adams thing on facebook today that was a memory from six or seven years ago that remember your definition of normal is different than the other guy's definition of normal or something like that and i think morticia adams is probably the (laughs) the fully knowledgeable person there (laughs) really reached out to you again this week. And I told Will that last time I had talked to you was almost a year to the day, according to my text messages, because we were talking about getting you on the show and I'm going to jump right into this and it's full of fuller moto related. Uh, You had an Instagram post, I believe. I think that's where I see most of your activity a couple of weeks ago and I haven't followed up too much on it. You guys just opened up a new type of, uh, body shop or paint shop did you not over there in, in Atlanta yeah it's pretty exciting you know I grew up painting I painted my first car in eighth grade I just I painted I went to Wyotech you know went through collision refinishing I painted at SoCal and Foos Design when I lived in LA and man I don't know if it's just chip burned me out you know sanding on the bottom of fenders until <laughs> three o'clock in the morning <laughs> I don't know. It, it probably that was probably it. You know, sanding literally my fingers bleeding and overhauling, just just working crazy late nights and long hours sanding, and I lost it. You know, it's just like when you start I'll doing body body filler and body work to the backs of the bumpers, I guess. Oh, the, yeah, the <laughs> underside of the car, all of the inside of the fender wells, the bottom of the transmission, the top of the transmission. I mean, everything was perfectly gapped. You know, for those Riddler competitions and it's crazy so yeah it's, it sucks <laughs> it sucks bad yeah. will accidentally fell into that a couple of years ago with his dart yeah uh, first was it you said your first his first indoor show he went to with uh his dot the dot the green dart of his they ended up getting a uh, grade eight and contended but nice didn't you did you lose out to foos that year yeah we did we <laughs> lost to the imposter Chip actually said it was on a it was on another podcast. He's and he said that the the green dart the car we built should have won, and I'm like, no, he didn't say that. And I went and listened to it. Sure enough, he did. And I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. You did know? you send your UPS address so he can send the trophy over? And- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He ain't gonna do that. I promise. <laughs> But what I got out of your a new body shop, Brian, is a question I have because I get the question asked a lot with my consulting business and just being a car guy everywhere. You're not doing collision repair. You're doing kind of that, If correct me if I'm wrong, you're painting cars for people for the guy that has, say, uh, you know, I don't know, 76 Monte Carlo that he needs a paint job on, a nice Monte Carlo, not what I used to remember from high school or just a car. He, he, you know, it's a great car. It runs and drives, but you know, the clear coats fell off of it or something. You're, you're, that's kind of, is that what you're kind of specializing or reaching out to help those people out? Or are you actually doing kind of collision work to the classic cars that, uh, succumb? No, we're going to be more, uh, we're going to do more high end, you know, kind of full overall paint jobs. So it's just hard to get anybody to do all the work. You know, it's just such hard work sanding a full car. As you know, Will, I mean, you do a Riddler car, then you you get it. And 
you know, all the sanding and the filler and the, the surfacing, you know, the gapping, it's all involved. It's all the prep work, you know, it, pulling the trigger and just getting the paint done is the easy part by that at that stage. So yeah, with that, it's more overalls, you know. Another podcast uh, co-host in the Birmingham area, or host in the Birmingham area, um, Rob Conrad with uh, Chasing Class or Chasing Cars with Rob Conrad. He's a radio DJ who his side gigs the podcast. He sent me a uh, message the other day. He he runs a wedding car service and has a couple of fifties uh, era Packards, and one of them needs the paint refreshed on. And he goes, uh, you know, the guys you're working with, you know, I'm, I'm contracted with a company right now uh, and working with them, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking I'm going to probably end up recommending you, you know, he's looking uh, and seeing if he wants to give you, give your shop a call and see if that'll take care of it. I just wanted to make sure that was kind of what the thinking was. And absolutely. Will, how was your, uh, like, tell us about your paint experience with that, with the Hornet. Oh, the green, the dark, the dark. Sorry. Oh, I mean, it, it it's, it's absolutely it's a brutal thing you go through, you know, well, I mean, we put ourselves through it too. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the floor pans have to be wet, sanded and buff inside the quarter panels have to be wet, sanded and buff the door jams, you know, and it's not just your exterior gap. You have to worry about, you have to worry about your interior gap, you know, where when your door is closed, it's gotta be a perfect gap and you don't run wind lace on, on a Riddler car because that's hiding something. You know, you have to mud your interior gaps, your exterior gaps. You know, you, the gap from the transmission to the floor pan. Uh, and, and it's just, uh, it's absolutely brutal putting yourself through that. Uh, of course, when you're all said and done and you finally pull in the trigger, uh, painting it, it, it's, you know, you look back and you go, wow, we, you know, we've done a lot of work. And we probably body worked on that car. I think there were four of us full-time for five months. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there wasn't, but I know this is going to sound crazy to some people, but there wasn't, but like four gallons of filler in that entire car. Um, everything was pretty well metal finished, you know, four, four gallons of filler in a Riddler car is nothing. You know, I mean, uh, four gallons on a roof. Right, right, right. We actually just painted a 66 Cadillac today. Actually, we started yesterday and finished today. That's a bit. Yeah. And it, it's candy, red candy. Um, I don't know. We've been body working on this thing for a while, too. It's it's not a Riddler car. It's uh, it's going to debut at SEMA. Whenever I worked with Chip, you know, we worked on two of them, and I watched the Grandmaster happen over there nearly daily, which would have been three. Later on, I don't know, it seemed like a year ago, I talked to him. I was like, dude, you can have it. I don't need it. I don't want it. You know, like, I want to undercoat the bottom of the car, and I want the guy to drive it and enjoy it. You can take the awards. You can win all the shows. You know, I just don't – it's just not – the reason that I build a car is not – for, to win a show. In fact, I don't, I very, very rarely have ever entered any shows that I go to, whether it's car or motorcycle over the years, because it just always felt like a disappointment. You know what I mean? Like I wait around, I feel like I'm trying to make sure everybody doesn't think I'm a jerk. Cause so they don't vote against me and say my car sucks. <laughs> you know, I worry and stress and just, I'm like, man, I just, I just want to build a car, give it to somebody, let them ha enjoy it, have a good time with it, and you know, move on with my life. Yeah, I'm I'm still caught up into the show, and I'm pretty hardcore. So uh, we well, we I got a oh, but yeah, we we've got an Impala that uh, we had out at Grand National Roadster Show in in bare metal, and it's it's one of those that now it's not going quite the Riddler level bottom side's not got to be crazy or nothing like that. But the only way I'd build another Riddler car is if somebody comes to the shop and they say, look, I want to build a Riddler car and I'm going to be like, all right, a, there's no timeline and B there's no budget. And yeah. I mean, who's going to do that? <laughs> there are not very many people. 
So is that why you uh, ran out of California, Brian, and headed to Atlanta? I, I know your website says you did it for the wife's family, but is it I'm going to be my own boss and I'm going to build <laughs> the cars that I want? Or I'm sure it's a com- combination. I was tired of LA anyway. You know, it's just too big. And, you know, I love Chip was amazing. He's a great guy to work for. He's a great team. And just I learned so much on every facet of the car industry and made so many friends. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I'm a small town kid. I grew up in the, in the South and I just kind of, I was done with not having a yard and not having a dog. And, you know, the houses were a million dollars. You never snows. It never, it's never hot. You're like, I just need some change. You know, <laughs> some people think it's great. And, you know, I, I'm from the Midwest, central Illinois, and even, you know, Birmingham at least gets a little bit of season change, but it's, still not enough i mean we're either summer or we're the three weeks of winter and there's you know none of the nice transition seasons and i kind of know what you're talking about you know because i why i never went california i was always afraid of california because of all the regulations and the laws i don't understand how it's such a great car state and they don't let you do anything and then i went to dc and you know everything was expensive everything was jam-packed and all that it was kind of nice to come here to birmingham and it's kind of the best of both worlds, a few more people, a couple more dollars. And, um, you know, I have a backyard and I have dogs and buck a square foot for the warehouse space I have. So, I mean, I, I can't complain too much about being here. Um, which will lead me into another question because, you know, you, you came back to, or you started in, um, Atlanta, what year, like, Oh, eight, Oh nine, you came back or six. Eight, seven, eight, somewhere in there. I don't we, know. We, we never. Yeah, I've been there about. And you've seen years. You've built some pretty impressive things, grown and grown. And just uh, last fall, was it or last summer? You kind of had a moving party and built, uh, tore down a shop, built a shop, or. Yeah, we moved into a new place. Uh, it was the old FAF, the old Ferrari Alpha Fiat location, just north of town kind of over by stone mountain. I didn't, the funny thing is it, it's this little, um, uh, motorhead cul-de-sac. I had no idea even existed in Atlanta. Come to find out it's kind of this famous little car cul-de-sac, this old Ferrari dealership, you know, back in the day, you know, there are stories of $10 million today's, uh, Testarossa's, you know, pictures of those coming out of the garage door that we have our showroom in now. Um, you know, there's stories of helicopters landing in the cul-de-sac, which is right next to residential and, you know, dudes picking up their Ferraris. And of course, all the kids who are now adults in Atlanta, like, oh, my dad took me to dream Ferraris in this building. And we're doing what is pretty fun. We're doing what I call, you know, kind of a building resto mod, a modern Ferrari or Porsche dealership has obviously all of the design and the panache, you know, it takes to lure in these big fish and get them to spend a big pile of money and uh, take it away from their wives' kitchens. (laughs) But in the old days, I mean, this is, this street's like down from a, you know, when you turn, there's a concrete factory that's right on the end of the street. You know, back then it was just different. We're putting in steel beams and painting all the beams red, you know, really bringing in all the, Ferrari kind of motif and make people when, when they come into the shop, like, yeah, you know, man, I could really see this as an old Ferrari dealership when really it didn't look like that at all. That's cool. We met through the museum and that it kind of always into the history and the, the buildings to the cars to, I just, I just love things that can tell a story no matter, you know, how it's changed. And I got in there. I'm like, there's gotta be, we took over the building. I'm like, there's gotta be something left over, you know? <laughs> And on top of the offices, we were gutting it and renovating it because it was just terrible. And I get up and I crawl up above the bathroom. There's this hidden room and there's red paint everywhere. And I'm like, oh, yes. (laughs) Now we've got some archaeology. Here we go. This is going to be it. And I see a Ferrari logo. and I'm like, oh, this is going to be it. And I'm all excited. And it's like, and I get it down, and it's this cheap '70s wood stanchion with a vinyl 
Ferrari logo on it, you know, and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> you know, like, well, hey, looks, looks like Derek, Derek's here. Yeah, so what? So what if I'm here? <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one guy here that Brian doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Brian. Derek lives in the middle of nowhere and has hit or miss internet. And that's why we don't have video from him a lot of the time. <laughs> He's a skinny bald dude that always wears a red hey, shirt. Hey, hey, no, we're done wearing the red shirts, man. Come on. We're done with that. <laughs> I was going to say all Corvettes are red, according to the book. Well, the Corvettes are, but that doesn't mean the staff has to be. All right. And Ferraris. That's true. That's right. Yeah. Those, you know, the new, those new Ferraris are looking a lot like the new Corvettes. I they think they need to stop copying. Corvette. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just kind of listening in because I know you know uh, Will and John and uh, listening to some of the conversations. No, I've, I've seen a lot of your work out there and um, obviously these two have uh, talked about you. So um, yeah, it's awesome to have you on the show and uh, hear a little bit about what you do and uh, why you do it. It's a good fun living a car life. It's, it's uh it's it's yeah. good work. I'll get up in the morning. I usually get in uh, either hop on a, a fast seven seventy like seventy five horse three hundred pound bike that is just a bit billing. You know what that is seven hundred one bit billing. I hop on that thing and haul ass into work. Or I get in my ultra slow big four sixty two powered sixty seven Lincoln two door and roll in slow. I've been watching you do do a little bit of Instagram work on that one too, following you and getting the getting the children involved on that one. Yeah, my son is ten, so we're actively trying to uh, subtly corrupt all the neighborhood kids uh, into being car guys. You know, they're gonna there be a, there's gonna be a hot spot of car guys coming out of my neighborhood because I'm just slowly infecting them with the disease. Well, we, we talk about that on uh, the podcast quite often, getting kids back into cars and the car world. And we kind of have come up with a theory. This will lead into a question. You directly can tell me I'm crazy. What I find is there's a lot of kids that are building and doing their shop work and learning about cars through their video games. And did you guys, Fuller built uh, the Double Down, which is now in Forza. Is that does that help? Do you think maybe your son fall into the interest? Hey, you know, dad built this car and now it's in a video game or does, do you let him play Forza? Man, I I know it's pretty cool experience to have a car that, you know, you built and your son can customize it. So he took the double down, which for those of you don't know, is a all wheel drive, 950 horse, natural in a naturally aspirated, crazy hot rod with natural uh, with uh, nascar slicks you know he's customized it with like a chrome body black wheels and you know the detail that the guy they did on that car is just amazing i mean most you know most cars it's like you know they scan it they import it in and that seems pretty impressive to on its own but kind of similar to a motorcycle with that car you know you see the fuel tank in the back with the pumps just hanging out of the back of the car there are rivets everywhere. The interior of the car has just exposed beams and aluminum and bolts. I mean, there's so much going on in that thing. And I mean, they nailed it. I mean, it looks exactly like the car. You know, Brian just brought up the fact that, you know, he, he built the car. He, he kind of had the creative license, if you will, over this car. And it goes into the video game. And now his son is customizing it. So I want to get his take on how does he feel about his son customizing his custom work? <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's awesome. I mean, you know. Did your son like, do it better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of betters. And, you know, with him, he doesn't have a customer. And there's always that where, <laughs> you know, if you said, hey, what, what would you do? And who cares about the customer? That's fine. But at the end of the day. You know, we're going, we've got a 38 Studebaker pickup, Coupe Express is what they called it, which is funny, that we're working on supercharged, uh, vintage McCullough supercharger on it. Man, I mean, when you're trying to get a color with a customer, sometimes it's easy. You know, it's like red, like, oh yeah, red, we're in, we're doing red. And sometimes with this thing, it's like, I kind of like blue and like, I'm thinking about titanium. And he goes, 
yeah, I could see the titanium. And then I started thinking about the titanium more. I do renderings. I'm like, screw the titanium. Terrible idea. And that was my idea. You know, so now I'm like, we're back around to blue. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm just, it's torturous sometimes. That sounds like that Impala that we're doing. Dude, we battled color on that thing. It was, you know, it was blue and then it was green and then it was bronze and, you know, it was every color under the sun. And now it's, it all kind of came back to green. And I'm like, why, why do all these, the the really high end cars we built, why they got to be damn green? You know, yeah, it fits the car, looks good and customer loves it. So green it is. Cato's doing a kind of green interior at the shop on his personal 32 uh, coupe. And I gave him all this shit about him. Like this baby cute green, really? That's going to be so out of style in 20 years. Oh, it's going to look horrible. I mean, look at, that's what the color of the building was. We moved into this Ferrari place from 1971. You know, next thing you know, I bought, a 67 Lincoln with the exact same color interior. I'm like, <laughs> you know, now I'm eating my words. It's like, well, how that happened? That's how it goes, ain't it? Uh, There's supposedly psychology behind car colors in the economy, and green's supposed to be popular in a downturn in the economy, but unfortunately, I don't think a downturn in the economy translates to customers for you guys, so there's got to be a whole other story why we're going greens there. Well, is, is that because the color green is reminds people of money that they don't have during the downturn? Is that is that why you things that are green? Green and browns are the popular colors, so there could be something to uh, what what those represent. Yes, you would think they wouldn't want to see the color green because all the money that they've just blown away on these high end hot rods. Hey, it's not blown; it's art. It is there art. You know. That's true. Rolling art. I've wanted to ask you, Brian, for a while and lose, you know, leaving the museum and that I don't get to see you as often as I used to. The futuristic uh, 2029 that you built, you know, I'm really taken with this motorcycle. You really got into some of where I think it's cutting edge in the hot rod custom motorcycle world, uh, you know, while you're replicating, you know, a quote, a hundred year old motorcycle the majestic i think you even said uh the nira car which i saw in the facebook's from the barber museum they just finished their nira cars so you can go back and see all that hub centric steering stuff did um haas just give you a go did they have a concept did they you know how how did the idea behind this thing come and then i really would like to talk a little about the titanium 3d printing and you know where how you even all of a sudden pop up these ideas and you know uh, Haas, who has the Haas Moto Museum in Dallas, he's got 20,000 square feet and he's, he's about the only and the best, biggest, you know, collector who's gone in on customs, which to me is like so ridiculous that so few people are grabbing up this American art form. You can go buy $15,000, just incredible bikes, you know, left and right. And, you know, speaking of Mr. Barber, I mean, I've been trying to convince them to do a you know, a, a custom wing for years, but you know, it's just not his passion. And, you know, in my mind, it's a lot, it's a loss in the motorcycle industry within that beautiful museum. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the real way that thing started was revival had done a kind of a bike built on the majestic because that's Haas was such a fan of it. And they ended up doing this like strip naked, you know, kind of six cylinder Honda powered, wasn't that six cylinder Honda power? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. That was naked from barely anything. I'm like, that's not what the Majestic was. The Majestic was a fully fared covered bike. You know what I mean? And in my mind, it just wasn't what Haas was after. And again, that's just my own personal, you know, idea. So I pitched Haas on it and he was like, yeah, let's do it. Pitched him on the printing, not really knowing whether who to do it, how much it would cost. And you know, how extensive we could go or if we could even get it done. And it's 3D metal printing. I started working with this. So, we, you know, we did the deal. I went to Orlicon, this metal printing company, and they decided they would help us out and, you know, give us a, a smoking deal on it. And it's crazy. I mean, there's there's like 150 grand worth of printing on this bike. 
it's sick, sick technology. I mean, we literally, we would, you know, design kind of the, the elements. There's a great video on Fuller Moto on our YouTube or on our website. Go check it out that we made. You know, we design these elements and they go straight to print. I mean, this it just comes out of the damn printer. No molding, no casting, no grinding. I mean, it's just crazy. It just comes out. It just shows up out of the box like you ordered it on Amazon. I'm big into 3D printing and I've got a couple 3D printers here in my office and wish I had more time to play with it. And I've always said it's it's going to be kind of like that. You'll go to Amazon and instead of ordering something, you'll order this um, CAD model or this SVG file and take that, pop it in your printer. And, you know, five, six hours a day later, you'll have whatever you wanted to order. And, you know, I've done that with... Um, iPhone stands and some of the camera mounts I use and things like that where I need this thing and you just go get the file off the internet or and then you can tweak it to exactly what you want and that's one of the things I liked about 3D printing but this the stuff that you did it's I don't know it's interweaved and spirally and you know I don't know if it would even be possible with casting and and such and where did did you design the bike and go, hopefully we can do this or design it and go, I've, I've got a fallback in case <laughs> this doesn't work or. I didn't have a fallback and, you know, it was a risk, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to push boundaries, you're going to take risks and that's just the way it goes. That, well, um, I was going to say that exactly. You don't get to where you are by being conservative. I mean, from, you know, the uh, futuristic to the uh, hand engraved, or the, the engraved bike that you brought out to Vintage Festival a couple of times. And, you know, Barber, did you, did you do all the engraving on that or did you have that done or? No, Tay Herrera. Tay Herrera did that in California. Um, but I, just a little quick finish, if you don't mind, on that 2029. You know, what it really, you, you guys were talking about how, how I felt about the electronics and, at the end of the day, I mean, I feel like however you can get people to go from that dream state of, you know, I'd like to build something and taking those steps to where even if it's just like I'm going to break, you know, a boring, in my mind, you know, floor panel, put it into my old high rod and fix it instead of, you know, calling somebody. I mean, a funny example, I had a buddy call me, send me a text. Hey, could you shorten this table by an inch? And I'm like, is it wood or steel? And he goes, it's steel. And I was like, so why don't you just go buy like a $10 hacksaw and just saw it off? And he goes, could I do that? I'm like, you're six foot nine. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dude, if you screw it up, just call me. I'll fix it. You know? And he's like, okay. You know? And I'm like, Good God. <laughs> you, you did complicate it and tell him that he had to take a half inch off each side though, right? I'm, I'm trying to figure out why he wanted to take an inch off of it if he's six foot nine. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't he need to add an inch or two? You know, I never thought about that. <laughs> I was thinking lengthwise to fit into the room or the dining room or something, but uh, I guess height makes more sense there. I know. Yeah, that is weird. His wife's tall too. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be for their dogs. now we're all sitting here and pondering and thought and the majestic you also did it's an electric bike too which is you know very controversial and very radical especially with harley going into electric bikes and that but i think when you're trying to build something 10 years into the future like you did this bike that that leans to you're either going to do it uh cng or you're going to do it electric and and then the thought process how you came to that one well, there's, I mean, the electric to me, it was a zero and there's a lot of great places for electric doing a Riddler car or doing a, a bike that's meant for specifically as an art piece, you know, you're able to do things differently. And there were just, there were quite a few of my peers that had been, uh, building bikes and Haas has, has been, you know, kind of pushing that limit in that he does it for the art. And we all do it for the art. But at the end of the day, everything that I built through my entire life and career has been with the intent of, yeah, you take it to shows for a year or whatever. And then after that, you put it on the road, you get it dirty, you beat it up, and then use it out of it. And hopefully 
down the road, somebody else has to, you know, repaint, reupholstery and say, damn, that was a nicely built car and it's got a ton of miles on it. When you're specifically like look at Ed Roth cars, you know what I mean? If you specifically build cars or bikes with just the intent of art and you skip who cares how good it drives, you're able to do the art and the kind of wow factor into a whole nother level that makes it hard to compete when you're trying to build a car that somebody actually uses. And I built that bike with the intention of art without the intention of actual riding, even though it's, you know, you can ride it, but it's not why it was built. It was built to freak people out mess up their head, explore technology, and just do it for the art. You know, I'm somebody who's always believed in, you know, drive it, use it. That's the way a, a car was designed. You know, you go back to the $10 million, $20 million, or whatever they are, Ferrari Testarossas of the day, the, you know, pontoon fenders and that, and people, why do you race them? Why do you run them? Well, that's the art they were designed to do is, you know, to see them move, to see them run and hear them run. And, you know, that's part of your artistic creation. And obviously with the the futuristic and some of these other things that are built, they're designed to be static art, like a Van Gogh and, you know, sit pretty in the garage or on your lift in your car bubble and be a coffee table as long as you use a coaster. So you don't scuff up the fender that you've spent hours sanding for chip. Yep. Yeah, my my first question for any customers: What do you plan on doing with your car? You know, do you plan on driving it, or do you plan on showing it? Because it it's a totally different car that you're going to build. I got a Model A coming in that he goes, if it pulls off and on the trailer, that's that's all I care about. I want an <laughs> ICA show car, and I'm like, all right, well that's good. No going in, we can make the gaps a lot tighter. We can get crazy with some stuff. It doesn't really matter. And he goes, exactly. That's what I want. And I'm like, okay. You know, is, is that what I would build myself? No, not at all. That's what this man wants. And you know, that's what we're going to give him. Well, there's definitely some, you know, there's some good spots of that where you're just not as worried that they're going to take it out and thrash it so much. I'm always torn by the customers that don't really drive them that much. You know, come on, man, get it. What are you doing? Get it out. (laughs) Let's go. Thank God he's not taking it out. (laughs) What do you got in the works? What are, or can you talk about him? Do you have some secret projects or oh, do yeah. you have uh... he's, he's got a little sedan going on. That's wicked. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> yeah, that's sedan. That's a 33 Ford. There's a, so I, I started a 33 Ford that I called public enemy back when I had my child. He's 10. <laughs> 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 so it's got a, one of the first 50 coyote motors in it, supercharged chopped it on two guys like way way back in the day man i just finally with the new shop i had room to pull it out and you know get it going this year and a a friend hooked me up with langston galloway who's a detroit piston and he's a neat guy and just seems to really enjoy all the details and the hard work of it he's like hell yeah man i want that car and so i sold it to him and we've been uh working our way through it we're getting pretty close to getting it ready for kind of a bare metal shoot that we're going to do for wheel hub magazine. Really excited, man. It's just feels so good seeing that thing coming through to the end after all these years, you know, that's pretty awesome. You mentioned, you mentioned wheel hub. We're actually going to have them on the show in the next couple of weeks. Probably talk to Robert. Yep. Talk to Robert this morning, actually. So yeah, they're good. just checking my notes. I was going, I think Will just brought that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We talked about it uh, before, uh, before we started recording. Matter of fact, it's a great magazine for anybody who hadn't checked it out. Make sure you, you check, you look at it. They're doing incredible work. Yeah. If you're not subscribed to that magazine, you're missing out for sure. I, w- I was actually the number one subscriber of that magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but it was pretty so crazy. You're, you're, customer zero 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 one type thing yeah one and two because i subscribed twice double oh one and double oh two will posey <laughs> trying to think of what else is up for you brian at uh, car fix your only show i forgot you did two guys garage because i used to watch uh, before it became two guys garage it was shade tree mechanic shade tree. back when i was with uh i remember sam and um dave was it yeah, I saw Dave Bowman. I saw him yesterday, and he was making like a uh, black 
uh, black powder gun all engraved and kind of a reproduction of a legit old, you know, I don't know, 1800s, right? Uh, I guess it wouldn't have been a rifle then, but 1800s uh, gun that had all this inlay. And yeah, he's funny. I always see him around. He's down here in Tampa area, so he pops in on occasion. When does the uh, next season of Car Fix, the one that I guess you just began shooting, when do you expect that one to premiere? I know, or do you even know? Because everything, all the production schedules are so messed up right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't get very, I don't get into <laughs> you know when it shows up very much. I feel like June, but you know the show's been really good. We've had they've really given us a lot of creative freedom to bring in our own projects. My co-host Jeremy Bumpus is a pretty cool dude. You may want to have him on someday. He's got a place called the Hot Rod Shop out of uh, Mississippi. He was on. Uh, one of the shows on our, that RTM did out of Nashville for a while, you know, we got to be buddies in a pretty short time. He's a good guy and knowledgeable and funny. And we just worked on my 38 Studebaker pickup this week. One of the cool things we were doing was taking that McCullough supercharger and a little trivia for you. So evidently McCullough, I thought McCullough and Paxton were like competitors back in the day. We couldn't find out Robert, Paxton McCullough just started a different company after he sold McCullough. Then he started Paxton. <laughs> Brilliant. And he just well, that was so crazy. just never got around to building Robert <laughs> superchargers, right? <laughs> Ran out of time. Yeah, I never had to get to the Robert supercharger. <laughs> now, are you still doing uh, caffeine and octane locally in uh, Atlanta, or do you even know? Because obviously we've missed the half, half of the car show season right now. But Yeah, they're we were going into season five. We were just getting started. You know, Amelia went to Amelia Island this year. It was kind of living large, you know, rolling the 67 Lincoln back from filming. And we just put 22 inch race line billet wheels on that thing. And man, they just look so sick with got a ride tech air ride on it. Man, that thing works good. I mean, it's so badass. I've just never had such a great driving old car i mean mike's normally like no ac and patina and you know like cheap air ride system and you know all of a sudden i'm like man i got air conditioning and the ride like you turn the key and the thing goes right to the ride height you know what i mean like this is crazy it's been really fun power windows power seats i mean what the what the hell happened for the listeners that don't know, fill them in on exactly. You, it's like a 65 suicide door Continental, right? 67. I didn't I didn't know it until I got this car, but uh, it's a two-door. Oh. So they didn't start the two-door until uh, 66. For some reason, I was thinking it was that, um, what do they call it? The entourage style Lincoln. But yeah, you're, you're right. It, obviously, you're right. It's your damn car. <laughs> I wanted the four-door, but... You know, they're just so much money. The four-door, the convertible starts at 30 usually. I had a deal with the guy in, Bur in, the, in Alabama, and the dude bailed on me. I actually sold my truck, sold my daily driver to get this thing. It was amazing. And then he just bailed out, disappeared. Must have been on Facebook. <laughs> See, I remember back uh, 20, 19, 20 years ago when I was at White Post, we were doing a 64 65 suicide door uh convertible and the top was you know the top and all that is just such a nightmare on them to, to keep maintained and keep the line and it was this powder blue which reminded me of what was supposed to be my high school colors before i changed schools uh, colors and it was done powder blue because pfizer was building it and they wanted to match a certain pill that they had on the market at the time and blue pill i'm thinking about i'm sure they made plenty of money to buy a lincoln <laughs> well, it, it, you know, it was probably appropriate to a convertible because it would go up and it would go down and it would go up and it would. <laughs> I was going to say it, it probably helped the top go up. And then after, after a few hours, the top would go down and. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is when you can't get it to go down, you're like, Oh God, I'm stuck in a storm and this thing won't go down. Say, where do we get to see you next? Any of that? But. They just canceled something today. Was it you that was telling me that, Will? I'll be honest. Yeah, they they canceled the uh, Woodward Dream Cruise. Woodward is, Dream Cruise, yep. Yeah, which is in August, mid-August. This is this has just gotten out of hand. There may not even be a SEMA this year. 
can we just cancel 2020? I mean, really? Can we just, this is ridiculous. Our, our episode that came out Monday with uh, Phil Sohn and his RX, we, we got talking, I think after the show, I don't think it's part of the show about what, you know, I guess we talked about it in the, in the show. And then we talked about it afterwards and we were a little bit more negative on SEMA after the show and talking about what would SEMA 2021 look like if everything from 2020 had to show up at 2021 along with everything from 2021 and is there enough space in Vegas, let alone the convention center for about 2021 there will be, they got a new wing they're building. So, mm-hmm. so Will, you're going to have, you're going to have like six cars ready for 2021, right? Yeah. 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 Pro- probably would. I'd say I'd vote. We don't talk about it. Talk about cars. <laughs> there you go. You guys heard of Lincoln land down in Clearwater area of Florida. I know the name, but I can't remember why I know the name. It's like all the niches out there. You know, it's one of the things I love about this industry is that, you know, anytime you have some niche like 60s Lincolns, there's somebody or a couple of them that are just those guys. You know what I mean? They know every part. We were doing this car. And as you were talking about with the tops, you know, there's limiting switches and relays and, you know, screw motors and like all that goes into the back of those convertible Lincolns. I met this guy, Chris Dunn, who has Lincoln Land down here. And he's one of those experts. And so I got to go there with the show. He has just sheet metal lined up, every nook, cranny, switch, emblem, everything you could possibly imagine for that little car. Um, and one of the little little facts, you know, that he did that was interesting. We went to fix the window regulator motors, which go out a lot. They pull it off, like, yeah, they checked it, like, yeah, you're your gears are shot. They were plastic. They're like plastic on a Lincoln. What are they doing? And in order to get the regulator out without pulling all of the motor assembly, you actually had to drill out spot welds in order to get to the bolts just to pull the damn thing out. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's pretty wild. It doesn't go back to there's the designers and then there's the engineers and there's the mechanics. And there would be nice if they at least talked for five minutes before building the car yeah they had plastic on the timing gears so like the lower the lower timing gear we were you know we were already in there fixing a bunch of ac stuff and i'm like look let's just switch out the timing chain water pump you know put a new ones in while we're already there it's easy you know my buddy across the street that worked on it, he was like yeah man good thing you made that call <laughs> it had cracks all in this kind of nylon looking timing gear I'm like, they put nylon on on the timing set in 67 when everything else in the car is steel? I'm like, dude, you know, like, what are you thinking? Pushing, pushing the boundaries. Yeah, pushing the boundaries of dumb. Now, right. now you go back and call your buddy and say, hey, can you 3D print me a, a titanium ti- timing gear? And... Oh, I was just going to say, think of... Think all the like cool stuff that you do with that that timing gear if you 3D print it that no one will ever see. If you printed it out of tie, if I had to guess, that would be a $800 part. So I'm not sure. That's just one gear. You remember Dennis from uh, Barber's. He, he's All his Facebook's been lit up the last couple of days with him milling titanium on his, his at-home Tormach, uh, building his titanium watches. So, Well, the funny thing about tie is you know, why is it still so expensive? You know, aluminum was expensive to extract back in the day, but we got it figured out and it became, you know, inexpensive. You know, there's plenty of titanium on the earth. You know, I'm kind of predicting with the rise of the printing and just the nature of the the beast that we'll get the uh, refining figured out to where titanium won't be so exotic, just like aluminum is now. You know, you can see in 20 years, titanium wheels rolling around all the time shouldn't really be that big a deal we had uh david pesciuto who's a woodworker getting into go-karting a couple episodes ago and he makes new wedding rings every year for him and his wife on his youtube channel and one year he was working on using his wood cnc to mill titanium and needless to say all the um armchair quarterbacks that you get on YouTube are saying you, you don't need to do that. And he learned that now you don't need to use woodworking tools on titanium. So it's a little bit harder, I think, to work with. I never really thought about it. you know, we've got more exotic metals, you know, Inconel and things like that, that we can make as the more expensive, cool metal. 
maybe it's just the titanium has a good marketer. Yeah, we're uh, we're just starting a bike that. Are you familiar with a Kramer based on the 690 KTM? No, I no, I'm I'm not. So it's a it's basically like a road race kind of kit bike. So you take a 690 KTM single cylinder. You know, you can get it up to 90, 90 horsepower, roughly, you know, stock bike is 330 pounds. So the plan is we're making a titanium frame, titanium printed caliper. So I've actually designed my own caliper, um, which was really fun to do. So I made it really airy and open on the inside. Um, we're working on printing triple trees out of tie, titanium sprocket, obviously exhaust, carbon wheels, hoping to get down to about 200 and 30 240 pounds and 90 horse <laughs> that'll be fun <laughs> it's for fun that's kind of pushing the limits there but it's you know, I, I i just i just like i say i love doing that you know it's uh experimenting with that technology and is the uh and i'm gonna be rude here i should have written down the name is the same uh 3d printing company helping you out on that one too or yeah, Orlikon, uh, I believe so, but you know how it is. It's just when you're on the when you're on the cheap list, you're also on the not so important list. And so, you know, if we can get between if we can get lucky between a SpaceX job and a you know NASA job or something, and the printer's got a few hours that they don't mind letting a, a beggar throw a part in there, then hopefully something will come out someday. <laughs> so like like the the triple trees. I know you talked about printing those. I think most everybody can relate of how big a triple tree is. So yeah. how how do you know how long it takes to print uh, a triple tree out of out of tie? I would guess that just out of a, a hunch that each you know you could print several at once because you can stack them up. Uh, they have different machines. They've got a big facility there and. You know, they've got one that's like three inches in diameter by three inches, a little one. And then they've got up to, I know some of the aluminums are getting up to at least two feet in length by, I would guess, 15 inches by 12 inches tall. So depending on the machine and most of the ones we worked on were about a 12 inch box capability. So because of the tech, the way it works, you can just stack them up in there. Cause you don't need a, a machine tool to work around it like a CNC. And if you fill that block, I believe it was about four days when we did the, the part that was the most filled of that 12 inch square block it was about four or five days. If I remember right. What's the largest part say you had printed for the futuristic in, is it in that, is it, I'm thinking you probably printed the, the wheel hubs at multiple or is it the swing arm or. The swing arm was amazing. I mean, that just was such a piece of art. Nick Pugh, who designed a crazy car called the Zeno, which is in the Peterson Museum right now. I worked on that car at uh, SoCal. And that's how I met Nick. So Nick's a very talented art center grad. He's a futurist. And, and that's why it totally makes sense, made sense to enlist his help. And so I came up with the idea that I wanted everything to look kind of like bones you know, kind of very organic kind of bone structure and really almost that generative design. But the problem with generative design is that it just has no idea what looks good. And it'll give you like a thousand ways to do it. Like there's a thousand ways you could build it. We took that kind of generative design slash, you know, organic, almost bone, like arm structure, kind of combined it into this kind of organic vibe. Um, and that that thing was five pieces. So we welded it in multiple spots we welded the bars in about five places and you know like to think that we're one of few people who had actually welded uh printed parts because in industry you don't really print something and weld it to another part very often <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know so how how did it weld oh my god it welds beautiful i mean the aluminum it's very similar to cast except for you you don't have any impurities Right. So it welds like regular aluminum or titanium. Oh, yeah. It welds beautiful. I mean, it, and again, like we polished a lot of those parts. We never found a single pit, not one. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. 
just like cast, I mean, you know, you bevel it, file it, get it clean, and then uh, preheat it so you're getting some good heat in there. And, uh, you know, put a big tungsten in and get ready to hammer down because it's going to take some heat. Yeah, we're well-known well known cast aluminum today, as a matter of fact. What are you well-known? We're um, doing a uh, Magnuson supercharger on a 572 crate motor. So we're having to cut intakes up and weld them together and um, whatnot. So we bought the uh, LS3 hot rod kit from Magnuson, basically destroyed a <laughs> LS3 intake that Magnuson makes and making it work on this big block Chevrolet. was kind of cool. They didn't have a kit for that? Oh, no. No. Hey. Magnuson don't have really anything unless it's, you know, late model, fuel injected already. Okay. So we'll be running like a Holly HP computer, building our own wiring harness and all that stuff. So yeah, it'll it'll be a pretty neat little old car. Going in a, a '57 Chevrolet 210 post car. That's cool. Go back a couple of years, Brian. It's a barber story, and I'll do it at the end of the show. So if all of a sudden this goes to pot, we can edit it out real easy. But you you used to do the. Um, did a couple of welding classes or seminars as they called it during vintage festivals and that. And one of the things that nice guy, great guy, sure. I don't know if you know the whole story in that, but during one of those, this little kid came up to me and he was all impressed and enamored with you and the TV celebrity doing the welding. And I encouraged him, well, go sit into this, you know, one of the seminars and are you, you know, he was very shy about doing it. And him and his dad finally went and did it. And I know they uh, befriended you in that series and that. And that was Zeke. Are you still hanging out with him or is he still around? I haven't seen anything. Yeah, Zeke is awesome. So we built a bike together when he was 12. He would come to Texas kind of during his spring break and uh, Christmas break and whatnot. Him and his dad were hilarious. So pudgy, big face, cute, you know, kid. And now he's like 6'5", 6'6", now, of course. But, yeah, we built this little CB175. There's some videos out there, I think, on YouTube also with us working together on it. It was really fun. I mean, teaching him how to do sheet metal, teaching him how to, you know, do this, that, and the other. And he was he was shy that time, but eventually he became pretty brash. You know, he's like, I mean, I'm, I'm 12. I've been on TV. I got on Cafe Racer, you know, my first bike, the Bostrom Brothers you know, wrote it and he became like, blah, 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 you know? And I basically told him one day, I said, Hey, you, you know, I was like, you bolted a bunch of little stuff together. You made a little tail on it. Once you come to Atlanta, we'll do some full on, you know, kind of work. Eventually he was like, okay, this, this like com- complete custom tank, complete custom tail, cut everything apart. He was like, all right, so I still got a few things to learn. You know. <laughs> <laughs> there. I just, I just always liked that story, and I never knew what happened to him. Obviously, me leaving Barber two years ago, and I don't think I saw him in the the last couple of vintage festivals because I I was so involved in the swap meet, and I was just kind of wondering what happened to him. And you know, I understand. I, I know I know exactly how I would have turned out if I was twelve years old and on TV and things. So. I don't know if he's going to go through with it, but we'll see. He's talking about coming to the, he's trying to get into the engineering, kind of the space engineering school that's down here. I, I don't know exactly where, which one it is, but there's some kind of, some kind of program down here geared toward trying to get to space engineering. Is that at Georgia Tech? No, I think he's down here in the Florida area. It's, oh, Florida. Yeah, that's right. You're in, you're not in Atlanta right now. Yeah. <laughs> they do that thing across the state from where you're at now, though, I think throw some rockets into space and that. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's in that like, Cape Canaveral area. Just a little funny. Now that you mentioned that a little uh, side, side story, I was on biker build off with my third bike. Barber has that bike now. So we got to go to Cape Canaveral for our ride. I mean, what is it like? A, I think it's a mile long you know, the landing. So we got to go onto the landing strip with a helicopter following us. I always regret because we're there and the producer's like, don't go too fast. So we're going like 30 miles an hour. Right. I'm like, come on national TV on a mile long landing strip. (laughs) 
on a drag inspired <laughs> motorcycle and you're telling me that i can only go 35 miles <laughs> and it was the beginning of the show and i didn't want to be a jerk and i wasn't very far into my career and i was like okay and i didn't go very fast and i have regretted that for the last you know 10 8 10 years whatever the hell it was like i should have just told him this you know eat me and i'm gonna go you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like the uh, typical visitor to the barber museum who goes and wanders the whole museum and then decides right before they leave they're gonna sit on the bike that they want because what are you gonna do throw me out i'm leaving anyway <laughs> you already filmed the show they've already <laughs> invested all that tape they might yell at you but what are they gonna do <laughs> but i think that's stuff we we, we uh learn later in life and as uh we get older we don't quite care as much maybe that's why old people are so much fun yep no doubt we only get better with age yeah we just start not caring you know no i love john has talked about the the story with uh, zeke in the past not necessarily on the show but i think that's really awesome that you did that brian i mean it's for i think really for the three of us we grew up around cars you know met a lot of i met a lot of kids in my career so far that you know, the parents just don't have the knowledge or the understanding to, if the kids like cars to try to do something, you know, I always try to give kids an opportunity to, to sit in a car, to ride in a car, to do anything, you know, teach them how to work on something whenever I can. And I think it's just, it's awesome when people are willing to do that. Yeah. It's just, I think it's a great story from your kind of career that John shares just awesome that he's you know continuing to do stuff yeah it's too bad there's a real gap you know between you know the dads who we see a lot in my neighborhood you know dads who want to do something they want to teach their boys something or girl and they don't know how they don't know how to teach them because they didn't learn it yeah exactly i had uh actually my previous job to the the corvette museum where i am now I had a, a mom and a, a 14 year old, her 14 year old daughter walk up to me after I did a, a talk about automotive history and, and cars and stuff. The The little girl looked at me and she said, do you know anywhere where I can take a class on, on how to change oil and, and, and change tires and, and do the general maintenance that I have to have to do on a, a car when I start driving? My, my dad's tried to help, but I, he, he doesn't really know what he's doing and and behind standing behind her her mom was laughing looking at me and going yeah he has no clue what he's doing with cars we don't let him around them and it's just it is it it's sad that it's it's not taught more often i mean the the loss of even like shop classes in school you know where they taught auto shop stuff like that is just really a disappointment yeah it's sad we're we kicked around, you know, it's just trying to find the time, you know, we've kicked around doing kind of a, a summer course where, you know, I talked about it with a neighbor. She does gymnastics. So she has a lot of girls, obviously in her, in her group, you know, and I said, Hey, what if we, we do a man kind of deal where we do a man card and they're like, well, that's very sexist. You know, you can't get a man card. I'm like, why not? I mean, come on. If a girl wants to come get a man card, I don't care. Like, come on. You'd be a, you know, you'd be a tomboy. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, it's just trying to find the time to do it. But it sure would be fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think some of the some of the coolest car guys I've met are are women. Well, we'll leave. That's a, probably a good Good point. We only asked Brian for an hour. I know he's on a busy schedule down there. It was great finally chatting with you and I guess getting a lot of the questions I wanted to answered answered. Great to see that I wanted this did the Zeke thing because you're approachable. You're you know a great guy and you help. And if I remember right, is Wyotech still around? Can people even begin to do like if they go, oh, I'm going to grow up and be him, and I need to do this and this and this? Wyotech closed, did they not? Or do I have? Am I thinking? Is it you? They've had a pretty tough run at it. I mean, there's a couple other schools out there that are other ways to do it but it's a whole new world and there's so much of this stuff that you can learn online uh, i think it, in my opinion what i've always told people if you've got passion for any industry or art or whatever it is just go get in on the bottom floor you know go in as a janitor go in and sweep the floor do whatever you've got to do find somebody who does it well that will teach you 
and work your way up, you know, and that's the, to me, that's the best way to get at it in any, in any kind of trade or, or industry or job. We, we actually had a guy start Monday that had, has built some cars at home, you know, pretty, pretty cool stuff. Um, been a, been a parts guy for 10 years and was tired of being a parts guy and come by and ask for a job and, you know, old cars and, and hot rods and all that stuff's his passion. And I'm like, hell yeah, come on, let's go, let's do it. You know? Um, and if you're right, if, if, if yeah. you don't have a passion for it, it's definitely not for you. You gotta, you gotta love it. It's, it's, it's gotta be in your blood for sure. To do it right and do it well and actually mean something. You're exactly right. You've got to, you've got to work your way to it. You can't just walk in. And if you just walk in and get it, I don't think, yeah. you know, you're not as good as Will. Yeah. You're not as good as you. You're not as good as Derek. Uh, Cause I, you know, I, I tried some shortcuts and it, it never worked for me. Yeah. Um, it opened some doors, yeah. but then I had to go back and learn really, really, really fast if I wanted that door to stay open. Well, so that's being rich in our industry. If, if, if you got a, if you got a cool car and people like it, that's, that's being rich. Yeah. Car rich, car rich, money poor. Amen. <laughs> Catch up. Yeah, true. No, that's, I'm going to say that's going to be it for me tonight, guys. It's uh, getting late. It's even later uh, in Tampa. So again, Brian, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us. I'm glad I pursued you for three years. If we get back uh, caffeine and octane or something, maybe I'll see you there. If I make it over to Atlanta on a Sunday morning, if not, I'm sure I'll bump into you somewhere. Maybe vintage festival this October. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care.